my sorrows I'm trading my shame I'm laying them down for the joy of the Lord Everybody, it's Wednesday night Bible study here at First Church of the Open Bible. I'm Pastor Gary Peterson, and we are located here in Dayton, Ohio. And so uh, I just want to greet you and thank you for allowing us to be uh, wherever you're at. And uh, it's always an interesting question that, that looms in my mind of I wonder where, what people are doing at this very second. Who knows, someone may be sitting at your, your dinner table enjoying a wonderful meal. And by the way, I'm hungry, so quit it. And, uh, and it's just, uh, just such a, you know, an unusual setting, but it's a good setting. Though also, we get to fellowship, we get to hear from the Word of God. Uh, you know, I want to uh, pray here in just a moment. One of the things I want to pray about is all of the churches and pastors. I have many friends who are also live streaming tonight. And so I want to pray for them because uh, what is the most important thing is not just what we're doing here, but what the church, the body of Christ overall, the bride of Christ overall is doing. Hallelujah. With the word going out. And so uh, I'm thankful for all the ministries. Aren't you? And uh, it is a blessing. And so, uh, again, we want to thank you for, for being with us. And uh, if you would hit like and then also share, that will help this message get out. And so, uh, how about if you bow your heads with me and we have a word of prayer. Father God, I thank you so very much. First of all, for the goodness and the grace that we have received from you so abundantly. Thank you, O Lord God, for the power of your Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, we welcome you here in this place. Holy Spirit, fill this place and everyone that is here tonight, even though there's few of us here this evening, I pray that we would all be filled with the Holy Spirit, the anointing of the Holy Spirit. We love you, we praise you, we ask, O God, that you would just bless the people who are Lord, in their homes or wherever they may be listening and watching, I pray, Lord, that they would receive a personal touch from you. Lord, if there is anyone here tonight who is sick in body, O oh Lord, who is, is ill, O oh God, who is combating some sort of, of disease, Lord, I pray, Father, that you would touch them. Lord, I've heard many, many testimonies over the years of how you have healed your people as they were watching on television a, a minister who was preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ or listening on the radio. Lord, I pray, Father, that if there is anyone, oh God, in need of healing, that they would receive that in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. In your precious name, everyone said amen and amen. Just a reminder of our service uh, on Sunday. I know that's a few days away, but I do uh, invite you to be a part of that too if you can do so. And so just a shout out again to those who are watching from, uh, uh, well, we have our own church body, some who are, who are here and watching, but also around the country. And uh, 
So blessings to you. I, I enjoy looking at the comments and the likes uh, because it just stirs up the, the thoughts of love and affection for you from my heart. Hallelujah. I've, I've seen some of my very good friends, uh, some leaders from uh, uh, churches that we were involved with, and, and I'm just so blessed that we can do this. And so this is a God thing. Amen. Amen. So we're going to get started tonight. I started a series a couple of weeks ago, and it's, uh, it's, I call it When God Doesn't Make Sense. You know, God always makes sense, so really, I probably should change the title. He always, always, always makes sense. We don't always have the ability to make sense of what he's saying or doing at times. And so it's on us. It's not on God. But uh, we want to hear from the Lord. And this is a serious statement, though. There are times when you really don't understand why God is doing something or allowing something. So I had the thought come into my mind, I, I believe it was the Holy Spirit directing me, to take some of the uh, perhaps difficult scripture passages uh, that are hard to maybe quite understand and to uh, extrapolate them, to take those scripture passages and talk about them when the Lord God has done something that to maybe me and you, you think, wow, I can't believe that the Lord God reacted that way or he acted that way. And so uh, last Wednesday, if I can do a recap here, I shared about Ananias and Sapphira, a married couple who in Acts chapter 5, they got excited about this new thing called the church that was taking place. The church had been birthed and born in Acts chapter 2 when the Holy Spirit came down. We call it the day of Pentecost and it gloriously filled the people who were in this upper room, 120 the Bible tells us. And in that setting though when the Holy Spirit came they had been up there for a few days and as they were waiting the Holy Spirit came and the sound must have been like a train, a roaring, and tongues of fire appeared above each and every one as they were praising the Lord, and they began to speak in other tongues. Now because of the festivities that was going on in the city of Jerusalem, it was a feast, it was a feast of Passover that was happening. And because of all that was taking place, in fact, it had passed on from Passover to the next feast, and people had came from various areas of the world because Jews were actually compelled to do that. When there was a feast, come from wherever you're at. Unless they just really could not do so, they made a trip to Jerusalem. And it was always filled with festivity and a lot of enthusiasm and uh, people catching up, families coming back together who have not seen each other for a long time. And so there was a lot of people in Jerusalem. And when, when the Holy Spirit came in Acts chapter 2 and he anointed those, in, those 120 people in the upper room, the people that were close by down below heard the praising of God. And that's exactly what the tongues of the people in the upper room were declaring in various 
languages, it was the praise of God. You know what caught their attention? You see, many of the Jews who came, yes, they were Jewish. Some of them were proselytes, which means that they were not necessarily Jewish, but had accepted the Jewish faith. And so they, they became what was called proselytes. And as many people were there representing different nations, so those of Jewish faith who came from this nation and that nation, they heard people speaking in their language, praising God from the upper room. And it was a glorious, uh, although perhaps confusing, maybe this would have been a good title that, that very day, when God doesn't make sense. Because I don't think they were making sense of what was happening up above them in this upper room as they listened to all this, this noise, this praising. I don't know if they got to see the tongues of fire above the heads of the 120, but there was many, there were many, many people gathered around below. And it had to be in the thousands because in short, uh, in just a short matter of time, 3,000 would come to Jesus. Can you imagine that? 3,000 all in one setting, boom. It just reacting to the power of God. And when you think about it, what draws people to God? It is the Holy Spirit. And what the Holy Spirit was doing was drawing people towards Him. And there was such an excitement and enthusiasm, and also though there was confusion. If you remember from Scripture, there are those who thought that, that uh, they were drunk up there, that they were having some sort of party or whatever. And, uh, and Peter got up and he began to preach to them. And Peter preached and preached to them. He explained what was going on with the uh, moving of the Holy Spirit and what had happened to Jesus. And more importantly, what he said the people had done to Jesus, that you are the ones responsible for him being crucified. And, and when all was said and done, they were cut to the heart. That's what the Bible says. They were cut to the heart. Maybe there's a day that in your life you went to church or you went to some special event, um, a ministering event, and you heard the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You heard the preacher preaching. You heard some sort of teaching. And you don't know what was happening to you, but you were cut to the heart. And all you knew is that you had to have God. You had to have Jesus. You had to have Him in your life. You couldn't go any further without Him being in your life. And you became, you became remorseful. You became tearful, possibly. And you began to call out upon the name of the Lord. And at that very place, you gave your heart to Jesus Christ. Well, that's what happened with this group of 3,000. They were cut to the heart, just like you have experienced being cut to the heart. And so that was what was happening in Acts chapter 2. And immediately, a church was birthed out of that of all these new believers. 3,000 got saved. A few days later, 5,000 got saved. It was just growing and growing. The Bible says that, that they had everything together and they basically became a church that shared their their wealth and and one of the reasons being is because they wanted to, to see these new disciples not necessarily leave right away until they were discipled hearing about the gospel of Jesus Christ 
the teachings that the apostles would teach. And they had a lot of teachers. They had at least 12. And, uh, but they had more than that because there were many, many, many disciples of Jesus who had followed uh, Jesus long enough that they knew what the teaching of Jesus Christ was all about. And so with great excitement and enthusiasm, the church was birthed, it was born, and because there was such a, a common spirit, and in fact, again, the, you know, the Bible says at the end of Acts chapter 2 that, uh, that the Lord added daily to the church. He added daily to the church. In other words, people were getting saved every day. So people began to do immediately this thing that we call sharing, sharing the gospel with somebody. And so here we go. Um, now we get to this story about Ananias and Sapphira, and this again is from last week, and they uh, observed so many of these new Christians who were sharing their wealth, especially selling property, and they were bringing the money to the apostles and laying it at their feet and saying, you know, we want to contribute. We, we want to contribute to this cause. And so we had the situation here with this couple, Ananias and Sapphira. The husband came in by himself. He laid down the money before the apostle Peter. And Peter said, is this the price that you sold the property for? And he said, yes. Well, the Spirit of God came all over Peter and he knew exactly what was in this man's heart and in his mind. And he said, you know what? You're lying to me. This is not the truth. He says, you know, th this property was yours to do with what you want. Th the money was yours to do with what you want. And yet you have said for a certain purpose that is your own purpose that it was this amount, but it really wasn't. And you're, you're lying to the Holy Spirit. And immediately the man died, dropped to the feet of Peter, and they carried him out. The Bible says that they buried him right away. In a couple of hours, his wife walked in, not knowing anything what had transpired. And the whole same scenario took place. She said, well, the money had already been, had been delivered, but Peter asked her, is this the amount that was, that was given or that the land was sold for? And when she said yes, well, she knew that her husband had told a lie. And the Peter said, Peter said to her, listen, listen, Sapphira, to the steps of those who are walking into this place right now who will be carrying you out to the same place where your husband is. And she dropped to the ground and she died. Now, folks, those are not the normal situations I am used to seeing in church. We uh, have a whole different style of church today than the, the first church. This may be called first church of the open Bible, but the very first church had some different results at, at certain times. And that's when we ask the question, why would God do that? And so I, I don't want to go into the whole message from last week, but I just want to share with you the whole reason that happened was because of hypocrisy. The word hypocrite means to put on a mask as an actor would put on a mask. And that's what they did in that day and age because they couldn't be heard, and so they would have a mask, and basically it would be a joyful mask or a mask of remorse. And, and so... 
by the mask that they were holding and it helped to demonstrate the part that they were playing. And so God did not want the body of Christ, the church, starting off with hypocrisy. And so he, he, he did something that, praise God, he decided not to, to continue doing, but out of his wisdom, he allowed something dramatic to happen. Two individuals died because they told a lie in church. Now, folks, if that was happening today, well, none of us would be here, would we? We, we would have uh, continual dead people, and uh, there'd be ambulances uh, happening every Sunday and every service going to some church to pick up some dead person and, and cart them off. But there's a, a statement that I shared with you last week that uh, I heard from a minister by the name of John Corson. I really like this. And it says, and it helps to explain why this happened, why God did this. And it says this, God will make a strong point at one point in time. Let me rephrase that. God will make a strong statement at one point in time to be remembered and applied to all points in time. The very fact that it's 2,000 years later, and I'm referring to this story, am I not doing just that? I'm, in, I'm making a, a point about what God did 2,000 years ago, and I'm also saying praise the Lord, because uh, you know we don't want God striking anybody else dead, and uh, although maybe sometimes we deserve it, but... Uh, and that was the message, and it was due to hypocrisy. God did not want hypocrisy in the new church. Now we get to tonight, and we go from the New Testament to the Old Testament. We have a similar event that is difficult sometimes to grasp, to get our arms around, to truly understand. And that has to do with a man who was a faithful man of God, God, he was a faithful servant, a faithful soldier to King David. And really, King David was just about to become king. And his action that he makes, and we're going to read it here in just a moment, but he takes an action, and his action immediately resulted in God striking him dead. And everybody became fearful of the Lord, just like they did, by the way, when Ananias and Sapphira, everyone who was in that room, they were frightened. They were fearful of the Lord. And so here's another case. Was it hypocrisy as well? No. It was a different, something totally different from that. And so uh, let me read the text and I'm going to be in 1 Chronicles. 1 Chronicles chapter 13. We'll begin at verse 1. There are 14 verses to, to really capture the, what is taking place here. But l let me give you just a short preamble, and that is this. So in 1 Chronicles, what is being chronicled, what is being shared and written about is a history of what took place, and so we have a story, and there's a story 
about David, about King David. And so let's begin by reading verse 1. David conferred with each of his officers, the commanders of thousands and commanders of hundreds. So he has a large army. He said, he then said to the, listen to this, the whole assembly of Israel, the whole assembly of Israel, if it seems good to you, and if it is of the if it is the will of the Lord our God, let us send word far and wide to the rest of our people throughout the territories of Israel and also to the priests and the Levites who are with them in their towns and their pasture lands to come and join us. Now let me just stop here for a second. What we have had here is, could be conferred to as a civil war. King Saul was the king of Israel, but he had come into opposition with David because of his extreme jealousy. And because of his extreme jealousy, in fact, we know this from reading in the, New, in the Old Testament that King Saul would deal from time to time with demonic spirits. And the demonic spirits would be at work in his life, in his mind, in his spirit. And he would actually try to kill young David. You remember young David. He killed Goliath, the giant, when everyone else was afraid, when everyone else was fearful. Not David. David is a very, very young man said, you know, who is this individual that he would he would say the things against our God, against our God's country, and I will fight him. And we know, the, we know the results of that. David slew Goliath. And so while that was a good thing, immediately King Saul lost some of the allegiance from actually quite a few people of Israel because they now looked to David as this great hero, even though he was very young. In fact, some of the women would sing a song about, about David and Saul. And, you know, that King Saul has killed his thousands. And then they would say about David, and David has killed his tens of thousands. And, and so they built David up, and it, and it just made Saul so angry, so bitter, so filled with rage. And you know, when you get filled with rage, you open up your spirit, you open up your mind. If you let rage control your mind, if you let rage control your mouth, if you let rage control what's going on in your life, because you, you are just so, uh, you, you cannot seem to handle it, that is when you are actually opening up a door to spirits that will gladly come in and they will begin to torment your mind. Actually, what they're doing, it's affliction. And it is demonic affliction. They're afflicting your heart. They're afflicting your mind. And they want to, they want to have control. They want you to, to be ruled by this, by this evil thing called rage. And so, my, my friends, I, I'm just stopping here for a second, that if you have a trouble if you have trouble with rage this night before this night is over I, I want you to go to the Lord repent repent of it 
If you can't, actually bow down and lift up your voice to the Lord God and repent to Him, which means to turn away. Oh God, I want to repent. I want to turn away from the sin of rage within me. Save me, O Lord. Change me, O Lord. By the precious blood of Jesus Christ that was shed for me, I accept Christ as my Savior. Do that. Do that. And so there's been a battle, getting back to the story, that's going on between David and his followers, who are Jews, and King Saul and his army and, and the people who are following him. And David is honorable. David became stronger than Saul, and one night he even snuck into the camp of King Saul while he was asleep, and he made it all the way. He, he was just like this guerrilla warfare. You know, I can just see him, and, and he's just, he just doing the elbow crawl here, and, and he gets right next to him, and he doesn't kill him, but he leaves a sign so that Saul knows that David was right next to me as I slept. And Saul did discover that. You see, Saul, or David, I should say, David had this concept, he had this belief that directed his pathway. And that is this, touch not thine anointed. Touch not thine anointed. And so even though Saul was being evil, even though Saul was no longer really enjoying the blessing of God, David considered him he who was appointed as king, and you do not touch the king, even though the king was being evil towards him. Now we go on in the story, and King Saul will enter a battle, and he'll take his army into battle, and he will lose the battle and lose his life. The enemy will kill him. So now the king is dead. So after these years of, of running from King Saul, David and his army, which has been growing and growing and growing, and the number of people who have just been flocking after him, he began to know, this is my time. And so really, this, this chapter, chapter 13 of 1 Chronicles, you could actually call this a coronation of David. In other words, he was now becoming officially king of Israel because the king of Israel had died, King Saul. And he was dead, and now David was entering. So, having said that, I, I probably should have started with that to begin with, but David conferred with his officers and commanders over thousands and tens of thousands. And he conferred with the assembly of Israel who had gathered they're not quite in Israel or in Jerusalem yet, but they're about ready to enter into Jerusalem. Jerusalem is still occupied, and so when he goes in there, he must take the city, but he knows that he can do so. And so he is looking at this is the time that we rejoice and we have praise, and we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna praise God, and we're going to... Uh, Oh, this, is a, this word is certainly not in the Bible, but we're going to party, and because we are going to bless God for all that He has done, His protection and His empowerment, hallelujah, and, uh, and He presents to them also an idea, 
in verse 3. It says, let us bring the ark of our God back to us. Let us bring the ark of our God back to us. And so um, it goes on to say, for we did not inquire of it during the reign of Saul. So he, David is making a statement. It's also a criticism. And the ark was basically another inappropriate word in a sense, but parked at the house of someone, an Israeli. Everyone was fearful of it because the ark was of great power when God would, his presence would dwell upon the ark. And so it says, let's invite the people from all over to Israel, all the territories. Let us bring the ark of our God back to us. For we did not inquire of it during the reign of Saul. In other words, we should have been doing that, but we didn't. And now we're going to do it. And the whole assembly agreed to do this because it seemed right to all the people. So David assembled all Israel from the Shihor River in Egypt to the Labo Hamath to bring the ark of God from where it was at, which was called Kerioth Jerem. And so this is a time to celebrate. This is a coronation. Hallelujah. And, and we, we see the ark is being brought back. And in verse 6 we read, David and all Israel went to Bela of Judah, which is the Kerioth of Jerem, and that's where the ark was at to bring up from there the ark of God, the Lord, who is enthroned between the cherubim and the ark that is called by the name. Verse 7, they moved the ark of God from Abinadab's house on a new cart. And so therefore, with their desire to do things correctly, with their desire to have honor to the Lord and to the Ark of the Covenant, they built a brand new cart. And it goes on to say, with Uzzah, who was actually someone who's close to David, one of the men from his, arm, from his army, and another, name by, another man by the name of Ahau, and they were guiding it or guiding the cart, which is being pulled by oxen. Now listen to this, verse 8. David and all the Israelites were celebrating with all their might before God, with songs, with harps, with lyres, with timbrels, cymbals, trumpets, I mean, it is loud. Sometimes we get complaints. The worship's just too loud. The praise is just too loud. I don't think everyone would have liked being in this, in this event here because it was loud. It was from the tops of their voices. They are praising God. They are singing they're playing their instruments, blowing the horns. Woo, hallelujah. I mean, this is a time of praise. 
I just want you to, I want you to get the feel of what's going on. This is finally a culmination from hiding, running, knowing that you could beat the king with your army if you wanted to, but you're trying to do the right thing. You're living in caves. You're living out in the wilderness. But you know you're supposed to be the king. You know you're supposed to be in Jerusalem. And now finally, finally, the battle, in a sense, is over. And David is about ready to become king. These are good days. We have a popular brand name today in our country called LG. LG TVs, LG washers and dryers, and, and all kinds of LG, LG, LG this, and LG that. You know what LG means? Life is good. That's what it means. <laughs> life is good. So if you got an LG washer and dryer, oh, you, you got life is good washer and dryer. So life is good, and life was good right here in this uh, passage of Scripture, and, and we're looking at eight Scriptures in, and everything is excellent. The, the people are praising God with all that is within them. All that is within them. Hallelujah. And then we get to verse 9. When they came to the threshing floor, of Kedon. Threshing floor is where they would take uh, uh, the wheat and what have you and, and, uh, and thresh it on the floor to get the, uh, the grains out of it. It says, when they came to the threshing floor of Kedon, Uzzah, remember Uzzah, he was helping to lead the cart, the good friend of David. And it says, Uzzah reached out his hand to steady the ark and by the way, the name Uzzah means strong. So the strong man reached out his hands to help steady the ark because the oxen stumbled. And verse 10, and here's that verse, that place in Scripture where you go, God doesn't make sense to me. What happened? And it says in verse 10, the Lord's anger burned against Uzzah. Now, folks, let me just stop there for a second. Did you hear what I just said? His anger burned against Uzzah. You are in the wrong place at the wrong time if ever God's anger is burning towards you. <laughs> and Uzzah was right in the crosshairs of the Lord. And he struck him down because he had put his hand on the ark. So he died there before God. Let me, let me uh, suggest to you this incredible noise, celebratory noise of praising, of singing, of horns blowing. It didn't all stop immediately, 
but it began to stop progressively. Thousands are there. Many would not have been close enough to have observed what was happening. But they began to hear immediately, Uzzah just got, Uzzah just died. Uzzah just fell. He's dead. And the news is gathering. And this, this, this noise just comes to eventually a deathly quiet. Uzzah was killed by the Lord for the action of simply, I say simply, but of touching the Ark of the Covenant. Verse 11. Maybe this describes you at some point in your life. I can quote the first few, the first portion of it. Then David was angry with God. Have you ever been angry with God? Has an action ever taken place where you immediately blame God because it hurts so much, because it tore at your heart, tore at your spirit. You cannot fathom you received the worst news you've ever received. Your anger swells up. Your bitterness swells up. You're in a state of almost uh, denial of what you've heard. It's phenomenal to me that oftentimes when extremely bad news can take place that even the atheist who supposedly doesn't believe in God will hate God and be angry with God because of what has happened. And most of the time it concerns some sort of death. And we see here in verse 11 then David was angry because the Lord's wrath had broken out against Uzzah. And to this day, that place is called Perez Uzzah. So we need to figure out what took place. There are some of you who you've done studies over the years, you've listened to um, commentary, preachers, teachers teaching on this, and so you already have a, a very good idea of what took place. But before we get there, I want to go to verse 12. So in verse 11, we find out that David, he is angry, that he is upset, Again, the scripture says, then David was angry because the Lord's wrath. In other words, because of what God had done. Verse 12, David was afraid of God that day and asked, how can I ever bring the ark of God to me? He's thinking about, what do I do? Again, we have just went from the biggest party, the biggest celebration, we have went to a total silence. And the spirit of the party is broken. All the celebration 
has gone, the, the wind out of the sails of the people. Verse 13, he did not take the ark to be with him in the city of David. Instead, he took it to the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite. In other words, he would not take the ark to Jerusalem, which is called the city of David. Instead, they picked someone who was close by, and they took it to this man's house. I've often thought this man, Obed, Edom, what was his reaction is, and he's heard now, well, someone touched the ark and God slew them. By the way, can we park this at your house? Can, can we keep this in your garage? Can, can we leave this here at your home? And, and amazingly, the man agreed to allow the Ark of the Covenant to stay there. There was a time, some years before that, when the judge, Eli, who was a judge over Israel, he had two sons. Phineas was one of them. But he had two sons, and they were priests, and they were evil. And Israel went to war, and they did what they were not supposed to do according to Scripture. They brought the ark into the battle area because they were actually thinking of the ark more like a proverbial rabbit's foot, something that would give them luck, something that would win them the battle more than calling upon the name of the Lord. And when they did that, not only did they not win the war, they lost 30,000 soldiers that day in that battle. 30,000 soldiers perished. And the ark was captured by the Philistines. And not only was it captured, the two priests, the sons of Eli, died on the spot. Well, they, they died in the battle, I should say. They died in the battle. The wife of Phineas was pregnant, about ready to give birth, and she did give birth. And when she gave birth, the, the woman who was helping her in the birthing said, it's a boy. Probably said something like, you can rejoice, it's a boy, God has had favor. And she gave no expression at all as you read the story. And she said his name will be Ichabod because the glory of the presence of God has departed Israel. Because not only did her husband die, his brother die, but when the father Eli, the judge of Israel, heard the news, he fell over dead as well. They mistreated the Ark of the Covenant. And now we have a man who is asked, probably by David, can we leave the Ark with you? And he agrees. I'm thinking, I'm going to keep my distance from the Ark. 
You know, when the Philistines had had the ark, they actually raised the cover to see what was in it. And over a thousand of them died on the spot. But here, listen to this. And it says, it stayed at the house for three months, verse 14, and the Lord blessed his household and everything he had. But now let me go back to verse 12. David asked, he asked a question to the Lord. First of all, again in verse 11, he's angry. He's angry for what had happened to his friend and what God had done. But now he says in verse 12, he asked a question. How can I ever bring the ark of God to me? He's not just asking a question. I believe there's probably some anger in that question as well. How can I ever bring the ark of God to me? And as that point is made because he leaves the ark with someone. You ever had a time? I know I sure have when uh, I've had a question to God and he, he didn't answer me. Have you ever had that happen? You ask God why this, why that? Or God, I don't understand this. And, and you're, you're really wanting some sort of instruction. You're, you're really wanting some answer to come from the Lord God. So I want to share something with you. First of all, Uzzah died because of his disobedience. You might, you might connect that to his disregard for the holiness of the ark. But he died because of disobedience. And David, and of David's ignorance. While David was this incredible soldier, he did not know evidently what the Word of God said. That the ark will never be put into a cart to be hauled away. Now that's something the Philistines would do. That's something that the enemy nations would do. But they would put their gods in a cart and haul that cart to wherever they wanted to go. God said, the Ark of the Covenant, and he says this in the book of Numbers, the Ark of the Covenant will only be moved by Levites. These are priests. And they will carry the Ark upon their shoulders. And so they had long poles, and there would be uh, numerous Levites, and they would take turns, and they would have the poles upon their shoulders as they marched together, bearing the Ark of the Covenant. That was laid out without question. This is how you move the Ark. And you do not touch the Ark except for the Levites. They needed Levites there. And David said, hey, Uzzah, you guys just pick up the Ark and put it on the cart. And so with all the celebration, this was the day of days. David's been waiting for this day. It's an awesome day. The praise of Israel is just lifted into the heavens. And boom, because they disobeyed what the Word of God had to say, instant tragedy took place. And the party went from being a party to a, a funeral, just that quick. 
So what do we learn out of this? What, what is it that, that we learn? We learn that David had the right intentions. Uzzah had the right intentions. But the question that David asked God, and God was purposely quiet. If I can say it one more time, or read it one more time. It says, how can I ever bring the ark of God to me? Question. And he asked that of the Lord. It says, David was afraid of God that day and asked, how can I ever bring the ark of God to me? Well, you know what? Maybe God is up, you know, in heaven just saying, read your Bible. How many times do we search out an answer? We seek out an answer, and the answer's already been given to us. It's in the Word of God. And you're saying, I can't believe that God is so quiet. I can't believe that God just doesn't tell me what I should do. And oftentimes that answer is, boom, right there. It is in the Word of God. So we have another time here in this topic of when God doesn't make sense. That God really does make sense. But it doesn't make sense to those who are being ignorant of the Word. Oh, let me share with you. I've had my occasions of being ignorant of what the Scripture had to say and suffered because of it. And maybe that's happened to you as well. I, I think many of us, you, you mature in your theology. The older you, you become in the Lord, the longer you walk with the Lord, you look back and you think, man, I can't believe it. I used to, well, I used to think that way. I used to do this. And uh, you become more wise because you've walked now with God. The Holy Spirit has ingrained in you those things that you should do. And, and I want to leave a scripture with you that is a, a, a very well-known scripture, but in Psalm 119, 105. 119, Psalm 119, 105. It, it's just a, a very short word. It says, Your word is a lamp unto my feet, a light on my path. That is what the Word of God does. If David had known his scripture, if he had known what was required, after all, friends, he is about ready to become king, king of Israel. Yes, he had the favor of God. He had the power of God to slay a giant with nothing more than a stone from a sling. Yes, he had this anointed. He was the last son, the youngest, that was not even in consideration to become the anointed king over Israel. And when Samuel, the prophet, went to the house of Jesse, he looked at all of his sons. He had a bunch of sons. And he looked at them, and they all looked, you know, they're all good-looking guys and, and, and seemed to have good qualities, but he said, but the one is not here. Is, is there another son? And that's when Jesse said, well, he's out in the field. In fact, what was, Jesse didn't say this, but he, he could have. Well, I didn't think to have David here because he's just a boy, and I need someone to take care of the flock, and, and that's where he's at. And Samuel said, bring him. And they went, and they got David, they brought him in from the field, and the word of the Lord came to Samuel, into his heart, 
Lord says, this is the one. This is he who will be king, who will take Saul's place. Hallelujah. So David had all of that anointing, but he didn't know how to treat the ark of God. And because he didn't know how to treat those things which are holy, it cost him the life of someone he not only thought highly of, but probably loved. He probably fought shoulder to shoulder with him in battle. And so we see that God's choice to do something was based upon his word. It made total sense. But there are times when things do not make sense to us. And if we simply go to the word, and I challenge you to do that this this very second, if you are struggling with understanding why this is happening or why that is happening, go to the word. and, And I'm going to say with all confidence this is my, my sword, my shield. In other words, there's times when I need the protection of the Word of God. I need the security of the Word of God. And folks, as you get into the Scripture prayerfully, God will begin to speak to you, even though you think He doesn't speak. Even though you think he's quiet, actually he's not quiet. He's talking loudly all the time through his word. So hallelujah. That's the lesson for tonight when God doesn't make sense. And uh, I hope that 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 will give you some inspiration, especially to go to the word of the Lord and feast upon it, eat of it, hallelujah. And let the word of the Lord give you that, that instruction. You know, the word of the Lord also tells us, you know, through a song that, that uh, we can trade in our sorrow and give it unto the Lord. And we can have the joy of the Lord. You can have sickness in your life, but you can turn it in to the joy of the Lord. Hallelujah. I pray that you have a good night. I pray that you have a good week. Trade in your Amen. I'm trading my shame. Trade in your shame. I'm laying them down for the joy of the Lord. See you Sunday. I'm trading my sickness.